Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Yeah, where's the Metallica? No. (laughs) we We discovered early on that the baby likes uh roots reggae because it's like slow and hypnotic and Sa- she's born in born she's born in san francisco of course she loves roots that's reggae. some san francisco soul yep <laughs> this is this is uh this is this this is our eight month old infant's favorite record i don't know if you can see Augustus that. pablo yes yeah, that's nice. pablo smoky oh but appears to be a four and a half foot marijuana pipe uh, <laughs> You, you know what, Arthur? The first concert I ever went to was reggae, and look, I turned out just fine. So, I know. so don't you worry. <laughs> That's like, a good sign. I, I tell my wife, I'm like, like, quit tripping. Like, yeah. Like, I, I clearly turned out okay. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of, lot of, lot of Zoom comedy bits about the record collection, which is like kind of a blessing and a curse. That's <laughs> <laughs> something you never would have done if you were on stage. So yeah, you're tapping into something funny. new. Yeah, and like, don't don't get it twisted. Like, of course, I wanted to just like go up on stage, like at an open mic with a crate full of records, and be like, "Oh, I see this one. This is really great. There's like a couple great tracks on this one." Um, yeah. Oh, does anybody have a turntable here? Like, we could just check it out real quick. I mean, that could be a part of your new bit when you come back on stage. Just bring your turntable and bring just, the records. I mean, oh, yeah. oh wait, is that called a DJ? I don't even yeah, know I anymore. Also, like, are we gonna are we gonna go back to the era in San Francisco history where everybody was a DJ? Yeah, just like everyone's a podcaster now. I mean, Jesus yeah. Christ. Like, yeah, like when I used to go out to bars and it was like, it was like. Oh, I, I like I work in project management. Also, I'm a DJ. Like, yeah. <laughs> by, a show, by a show of hands, who's not a DJ? Like I think DJ I think 2006 is to San Francisco at like as improv is to 2020 San Francisco. Like mm. everyone's in an improv troupe now. Nice. Yeah. But I actually I still want to be a DJ. So I might come out of this DJing. Is that okay? You are a DJ. Okay. I am a DJ. Being a DJ. When I walk into the bar with her, she will plan the music for the rest of the night yeah, and everybody's dancing. I'm, I'm the twenty dollar bill in, in the I'm the twenty dollar bill in the in the in the in the digital jukebox guy. Yeah. Jukebox she gets DJ. Mad. She gets mad when someone else approaches. I'm like, you don't own the, the jukebox. It's fine. But I, I do stop. Yeah. I, well, I I understand the feeling. I can tell you that like the final straw for me with like one of my favorite townie bars was like, I was like, they, they started skipping through my jukebox track. I'm like, That's <gasps> oh, hell I, no. Like oh. I've, pumped, I've pumped so many $2 modelos into your bank account. <laughs> now, you're, now you're out here telling me that like, I can't just like, I just can't play John Coltrane in your fucking jukebox. Well then why is it one on one of your one credit plays? If you right. didn't like John Coltrane, in your bar, you shouldn't have one credit play. John Coltrane is one of the options. Make me pay a dollar for it. Which bar was that? I'd like to know. Silver Spur on Twenty First and Irving. Oh. oh, have I? I know the Silver Spur. 
I'm trying to think back to my college fake ID days. Yeah, you really don't want to think too hard about Silver Spurs. I feel like I was just really fucked up when I went in there. Yeah, that's that's more or less par for the course for the old soul, for for the old uh, Espera, like uh, in Plata. But while we're on the topic, well, we haven't that... actually properly introduced our oh, okay. guest. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's an old friend. I forgot. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. Hold on. Let me let me change my name. This is my wife's name currently. Apparently. <laughs> we weren't judging. Yeah. So. It's fine. You should have left Helen up there. You should have left Helen up there. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Goes well. You can change it to Arthur. But if it you know goes downhill, you keep Helen. That's yeah. Be right. like, yeah. Don't blame me, man. This is all <laughs> Helen. Uh, so, yes, yeah, that would so, actually, that would be a pretty that would be a pretty savage move to go on a like a a, a, a feminist podcast and then be like just like it's my wait. wife. We're here for it. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's totally fine. Uh, yeah, so this is comedian Arthur Gauss. Hi. He's a San Francisco native. Yes. And he just released, is it your first comedy album? Yeah, well, yes, yeah, it, is. it is. Debut, it's debut. Full, yeah, it's my first full, full, full comedy album. I've been right. on other people's recordings, but not. Called Nice Jokes uh, for Smart People. Nice Jokes for Smart People. So now we're setting up correctly. You're welcome, Shar, who's our producer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Now let's get into it. Where were we going with this? Well, I just bars? have one more thing about jukeboxes oh, yes. uh, that, <laughs> made, that made us sad collectively, Aaron and I, is when they started installing the internet jukeboxes because uh, we used to want to go to bars because of their jukebox. It yeah, added right. to the ambiance. I know that I'm not going to randomly hear, you know, what's a pop? I don't even know a pop, a Selena Swift, Selena. whoever, Selena, Selena Swift, Gomez, Selena Swift, you know, or Bieber or whatever. I know that I'm not going to hear that if I go to this bar or, you know what I mean? And now with yeah, the well, boxes, the, you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Lucky 13 had oh, a yeah. jukebox that you had to know what you were getting into. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, the, um, uh, not Hobson's Choice, but the other one, oh. the, the gold cane had, a, oh. had one oh. that you were getting into. Uh, and um, and then they all they all went to they all went to that asinine um, internet model. Uh, 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 so rookie Ricardo's records on Hate Street <gasps> yes. Yes. has one that and I will I will preface anything I say about these records. A full sixty percent has of these come to me via Dick Vivian at Rookie Ricardo's <gasps> records. Like let's just I... be clear about that. Okay. And I love that guy. Yes. I know, I, I know Dick. He's amazing. Yeah. Dick and Zam <laughs> um, I know you're, you grew up in uh, Haight Ashbury. Zam still has a jukebox and probably one of the best, huh? Yes. Aaron? Yeah. I agree. They've, that jukebox has flavor. They haven't touched it. Yeah. yeah no, that's still, that, I, I bought a jukebox one time and I was going to put the 45s <laughs> into the jukebox. Yes. And I found it because I found a guy in Vallejo who was willing to do it for 600 bucks. And then, and, and we were going to have the jukebox. We were going to have, because we got married at Stern Grove. And there, we were like, well, just put, the, just put the jukebox in the place. And then people can just pick the songs because that's how much we like jukeboxes. And then, uh, and then like, it turns out transporting jukeboxes is, oh. like, <laughs> is like really difficult. It'd be the most expensive part of your wedding. <laughs> yeah. And like, you have to like, there's like one guy in Daly City who knows how to repair jukeboxes. Uh, of he'll course. Only, he'll only become, come to your place between seven and nine on Wednesdays. 
Right. Is that AM or PM? <laughs> well, we, we actually called him one time and, and he's like, it says call between seven and nine. And we're like, it is seven and nine. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like 745. And he's like, I said, I meant AM. And then he hung uh, up. <laughs> I think it was Ange you called. That sounds like her voice. I'm, I was going to say my uncle, sorry. Yeah. He's crabby when he doesn't, he didn't have his senorita bread yet. So yeah. he's a little crabby. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, Arthur. Okay. We'll go into other stuff later. Yeah. yeah, yeah Cause sure. it sounds like we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot. But talk about your comedy album. I mean, it's your first debut and uh, you recorded it on March 6th, is that right, of 2020? What mm -hmm. timing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good for you. You got uh, it in. <laughs> I got, dude, I got it in. And like, it was, it was totally bizarre because like at the time I was like so focused on like reducing the whole 45 minute. Cause like, there's a couple things that was like kind of unique about it. Number one, like I'm from San Francisco. I'm a San Francisco comic. Like, but I like, like making the record and kind of doing what I'm trying to do with it meant speaking to people who don't live in San Francisco, have never been here, don't know kind of like what being a San, like what stand up sounds like here. And so what that meant is that I had to make my act like I had to take out all of the really nasty stuff. I left in one or two things because like I just couldn't resist and like I figured we could do like a clean version and like a not so clean version. And I'm not an especially dirty comic, but you, it's like the rhythmic F words, the just things that like you say because <laughs> you're just like up there and you're working. I had to like get really conscientious about taking that stuff out. And I had to get it in before the baby was born. And it was like, and so it was like, I was thinking about all these other things that I was like worried about. And then kind of like, like the day before the, you know, I've got like an eight and a half month pregnant wife at home. I've got this record that I'm trying to get out. And then like the day before somebody asks me like, and I'd been, you know, of course I'm reading the newspaper every day and I'm reading about this pandemic happening. And then, mm -hmm. but it was still kind of like off in the ether. And then somebody was like, so are you still gonna do the recording? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Like, mm -hmm. are, like, are they still gonna let you do it? And I'm like, I, uh, I don't, I don't know. And like, I, and it was crazy because I basically, I've been doing comedy for, you know, I've been doing comedy for 20 years at this point. And this was the first time I tried to do a recording. And I felt like, you know, once the, the baby got born it would be harder to do after that mm -hmm. and so I felt like this was the only weekend in my entire adult life where I could definitely commit to doing this set in front of live people and so we went ahead and did it and then by the following weekend comedy was canceled like mm -hmm. it was over and like the the in and in so doing like the the punchline canceled their Sunday show the following week which like which that was that was like the NBA getting. I know that a lot of people they were like, oh, when the NBA canceled their season, or when Major League Baseball canceled their season, that's when I knew it was serious. It's like if the punchline's calling off a Sunday show, that means like it's time to like really batten down the hatches because something like serious is going on. And so it was it was it was really rapid succession. Like I got off stage, had a beer. And then it felt like by the time I would like finished my beer and like thanked some of the people in the audience that like I knew, 
for coming, they were like shutting us down and like kind of pushing us out the door because they knew that the shutdown Jesus. orders were coming. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah, and and I was thinking about that too. And it's crazy to think that some, for some people that was the last live show, live event, last time they were in a bar this year, you know, inside a bar at a show. And it's, and it's your show. So you're going to kind of be this part of their memory when they think <laughs> of the lockdown and the shutdown. So you either, they either are so happy or, or, you know, regretful that they didn't go to a different show. Yeah. Well, I, I hope they're not regretful. I mean, if they, just, <laughs> they're like thinking back and they're like, wow, that was like, that was basically a 45 minute stream of consciousness from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, who was who was at Ruby Sky that night? You know, it's like oh, oh know. no, come on, no. that's not come even on. open anymore. I'm, come on, come on. They, no, they they closed Ruby Sky. <laughs> they closed Ruby Sky years ago, probably because they couldn't find enough Eliminates to go there. To, <laughs> to keep I mean, I, rent that I don't. One. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there with Ruby Sky. That place is just. That's probably where the pandemic started. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Years ago. like yeah. Forget about live animal markets in central China. Like no like Ruby Sky for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. Scuzzy. And whenever it was and whenever they built that damn slide, come on, that's disgusting. <laughs> no, that, was, that was like I. I was. I was. I, I was like hanging out with tw mid twenties, like bros in their mid twenties, and and like even we thought that was stupid. And like once you've lost the <laughs> like once you've lost the Coors Light crowd, like forget it. Like it's never gonna work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I I have to say I did have one good night at Ruby Sky, and it was uh I think it was the night before the two thousand eight election, and for some reason John Legend was playing there. That was my best night at Ruby Sky. Wow. It was awesome. Wow. But that's it. That's it. I've gone other nights and it's trash. So yeah. Once I don't enough. even know how that happened. Maybe Once I'm was making enough. that up. Yeah. Once was enough for yeah. me. Yeah. That was a one and done. We I were was... actually talking about the Cat Club. I don't know if you've ever been there, Arthur, but that place certainly was fun. Have. 80s I... night at the Cat Club was my jam. As a person who went through a goth phase, please believe I went to the cat club. <laughs> that back room, the back room. Like, yeah, like do not be fooled by like what a squab I am now. But like, I have, I certainly went to the cat club. I also, uh, I went to, I went to New Wave City a bunch of times, which was like oh. is still jamming. I'm mm. sure of it. I haven't been because I haven't been. No. But, like, <laughs> but, like, um, but I'm sure it's the, I'm sure like when it comes, like when we're back to normal, like the first thing is going to be like new wave city at, sure. at somewhere. And then yeah. there was, um, I did, I went, to, I was one and done. I, and I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this. I was one and done on the end up. I, I couldn't do that one. More I've than never twice. been, well, I never uh, went. So it doesn't matter now. RIP. Well, I guess it kind of depends if you like ecstasy, you know, maybe you'd go <laughs> a few more times. <laughs> It's just like yeah. it's hard to stay awake otherwise you know yeah i i, I mean i've been in com i've been hanging out in comedy clubs for more than half of my life and i definitely like looked around the end up and was like this is a little much even for me <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get yeah uh, what, what kind of crowd's gonna be in there but yeah so. which could be good or bad so mm -hmm. um so you recorded this on March 6th and then we go into the pandemic, uh -huh. whatever, shelter in place. And then do you think that you're still going to release the album or you're like, oh shit, like, I don't even know. And then your baby's born, right? Yeah. I mean <laughs> I, so, I mean, cause the baby was born on the 17th, i.e. the first day of the shelter in place order. Wow. We had the baby at home. 
So like, we're just like in this apartment and here's, here's how crazy though. Like, I know it's like hard to think about March, but like, how crazy was it? Like, like you could just park on Irving street. Like you could just like drive your car to Irving street and then like park it on the street. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I'm not even kidding you. Like that's how crazy it was back then. Mm-hmm. And like, we, it's like we had the kid at home and like you didn't see anyone on the streets. And so we had this like one day old infant mm. and like we're, and then like not even three days after the kid was born, they sent me the rough cut of the record and it was like time to start the editing process. So I got like, I got like two weeks between the, between the day when we recorded it. And then like in those two weeks, my, my life got like, everyone's life but my life in particular got just like totally turned on its head and Mm -hmm. like and and then just like through the editing I'd say one of the most interesting things about sort of it is that you know the editing process took me like about mm, it took me almost 12 weeks because I you know because it's like I had to find time to to do the editing and like because when you when you do a comedy record or at least the way we did it with 800 pound gorilla gorilla is they sent me the raw audio from the two sets and then I had to like basically like I would just take chunks be like you know take you know from on set one take you know 13 10 to 15 22 and attach it to that one and so you're building these bits through the editing process and it basically is corresponds to what I was doing on stage like there wasn't that much editing to do but it still it took me forever but like while I'm doing the editing process like Joe Biden gets nominated, (laughs) like, like all this stuff that I normally would be doing comedy about takes place. The country goes on fire in terms of protests, like the whole, like every, the conversation around everything that we talk about, like the rules of discourse changed completely dramatically. Like, I feel like the, because I talk a lot about the internet on the album and like how the internet is like how it's supposed to work on our brains and how it does work on our yeah. brain. And like, and I think that like some of those points that I'm making about the internet, like came into sharper focus in that period. So it was like the world really changed dramatically while I was in the process of editing this record. <laughs> and, and as it turns out, like, I think one of the things that's really kind of makes makes it unique other than like listening to something and hearing like live people and being like whoa is um is that like I'm talking about a reality that like doesn't really exist anymore because we're all living in a pan like under lockdown but like a lot of the stuff that I'm it's not like everything I did it's not almost nothing I did on the record at least in my estimation became obsolete Mm -hmm. you know and that's I think I think that has to do, that was really interesting to listen to as I was really worried about like, oh, like this stuff is gonna sound, it's just gonna sound stale because like the world's so different now. And especially because like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not like a political comic. I'm not like wearing like a red, white and blue blazer and playing the (laughs) piano, but like, I'm, but I'm definitely politically flavored. And so I have to be like, kind of like, at least kind of up to date. And so I sort of was worried like, man, is this just gonna lose all its edge? And as it turns out, I feel like intentionally and by design, I was kind of working in a way where it was going to be a little bit more timeless than like, you know, you know, uh, 
X, Y, and Z happened. Didn't have that on my 2020 bingo card. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to date it to 2020 so much, which is also played into the decision to not like really do a set, devote any part of that set to Donald Trump. Like mm-hmm. I have, t- please believe I could have done 45 minutes on the Trump administration, <laughs> but like I, it's, it's like, it's like, you know how, like you listen to one of these old records and like, and and like George Clinton or Sol- mm. or like Sly Stone is like is like and tell Richard Nixon he can take those tapes and burn them himself and you're like oh yeah Richard Nixon and, you know <laughs> and and it's like I didn't kind of want to date myself like that and so it's like I I, I I so I think that that des- that decision to sort of just n- not give him any of my time on the record mm-hmm. like yep. actually ended up kind of playing out in my favor. Yeah, and I do I do think that, you know, listening to it, it was refreshing to know that none of that was going to come up. You know, this is a space where I don't have to think about that or even the pandemic or any of that. It is refreshing to pull yourself out of that space and listen to something different. So yeah, and to it, that end, you know, it was simpler times. Yeah, it was nice. yeah March, March 6th was simpler. Yeah. Much simpler. <laughs> Well, mm-hmm. thank you. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things that like I've I've really come back to is that like again, like I'm I'm this the audience for this record, like the the audience for the, for my act generally is like is San Francisco because I'm this is where I'm from and this is like what I'm doing, but um, <laughs> the audience for the record is like it you know was it was really kind of I was thinking about that serious radio crowd where they're just driving around Tulsa, Oklahoma in a rental car. You know, and and it's like, if I, you know, the 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 person who is the president currently is such like he takes up so much oxygen mm-hmm. that like if I'm it, if if I let on too much to that person driving around in Tulsa or whatever, that like I that if he figures out my opinion on the current president, he he may not listen to anything else I have to say just he'll not listen to anything else I have to say because he thinks, because he's already pigeonholed what kind of person I am and, and why I should be dismissed. Similarly, if I do material and it resonates with somebody who's, you know, who opposes the current president and they like me just because of what I had to say about it and really isn't thinking about like some of the bigger points that I'm trying to make, I'm not actually doing a comedian's job. I'm just sort of like giving giving two different audiences that already like kind of like two different perspectives on the same thing I'm just kind of giving them what they want or denying them what they want and that's not really that's not really stand-up comedy at least in my my conception of it you know what I mean like I want to be talking about the things that people aren't necessarily talking about every day you know yeah I had a question for you and yeah I'm referencing something earlier that you said and I thought it was interesting I never think about comedy in this way, but of course, what is San Francisco comedy to you? Oh man. So I think this is just my, and this is just my opinion because it's definitely a thing. And like, I, it's, it's a thing and it's unique and it's, um, so the, 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 the short and pithy version of this is that like comedy, stand-up comedy it didn't exist a hundred years ago and it didn't even really exist 75 years ago. It's like, or I mean about 75 years ago is when you start seeing something that like kind of resembles stand-up comedy because there were the vaudeville guys mm-hmm. and there were the guys who would tell jokes in between the strippers in North beach. 
right? And and that's and then like Lenny Bruce kind of started doing. That's where Lenny Bruce kind of came in, and he would. That's where he was working. He was working in North Beach, and you know, at the time that Lenny Bruce was working in North Beach, you had the you had the the Beats and like the Bay Area representational artists just up the hill at what is now SFAI. And so like all of this stuff that like San Francisco is really famous for from that era, like the, you know, the beatniks and the development of the anti-war movement, like stand-up comedy is kind of like happening here at that time, kind of like adjacent to that, to that mm -hmm. stuff. And so that's, that's like, that's kind of the roots of the San Francisco, I, I guess you would say, style is that it was made for kind of that audience, the like coffee house, art gallery, like art show, beard and sandals kind of audience. And, and, and that it was kind of something that was done for its own, for its own sake, because like there's, because there were eventually, like when comedy, when standup kind of started developing as an art firm, there's guys in LA, you know, there were the Carson guys and there were the guys in New York and it was all about making product, you know what I mean? Making product or being on TV or something like that. And that I think is really still true is that like San Francisco, it's like you're doing stand-up to do stand-up. Mm -hmm. And that like making a product out of it is kind of secondary. And then, and that's why, you know, you can still go, I mean, San Francisco, you're going to be able to get up. You're going to be able, if you really are working, you can get up twice a night, seven days a week, because there's mm -hmm. just people who are making stand-up to make stand-up, you know? And then it's like, you go to other cities and it's like people are making stand up because they want to get an acting job on or they want to get a writing job. Mm -hmm. And so it's it, it's a little bit more outward facing. But San Francisco, it's like it plays to a slightly different crowd. It's kind of stand up for stand up's sake as opposed to like stand up <laughs> is like another commercial you know, project. And it like and as a result, like the crowds are a little smarter. They're a little more stand up oriented. They're um, they're like a little bit like less enchanted by like fame you know what i mean it's like they want to see someone who's really good and um and it's and it's mostly like a it's mostly something that happens within the confines of like a comedy club or a, a performance space that's hap that's like geared for stand-up i mean like the punchline is it, there's a reason why the san francisco punchline why people big names from out of town when they want to prove their chops as a stand-up, they're they're a lot of them are still trying to record at the punchline San Francisco mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's got like you're gonna get that crowd that like that that San Francisco, San Francisco punchline stand-up comedy crowd that like you can really only get here. Um, and so I think, and then the, then there's the whole kind of lineage that came from from like the 80s comedy boom. It's like there was a time where the most famous comics in America were like Robin Williams, Margaret Cho, mm -hmm. Whoopi Goldberg. And those guys were all San Francisco people. So there have been there have been moments where like where there have been moments where like lots of really great comics come out of San Francisco, but there's always been like a steady, steady supply of people who are really, really, really good at doing stand-up. And like they 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 go on to do bigger and better things but when you they're here and they're in san francisco and they're working all the time you can see really 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 like top shelf top drawer comics you know just just working and it's pretty it, I, i've been doing it you know I've been, i'm a dinosaur in san francisco basically at this point but like 
I'm still blown away by like how good the comics that you just see around are, you know? Yeah. That was a really long discursive answer. <laughs> no, I was I was looking at Ange because I'm like, I have another question. Unless Ange. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, no, okay. go ahead. Yeah, no, no that was I was I'm just soaking I was, that history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna ask, you mentioned a few of you know, famous lo local-ish comics, but were some of those folks your heroes slash mentors or so yeah. Um so Will Will Durst. Uh, oh, of course, was, yeah. Yeah, Will Durst was like Will and Deb were like my comedy parents. They Oh they um i mean were they still are like right uh, <laughs> they're still around <laughs> yeah but like they they i was like 20 or 21 and like i was still in college and like i was working i was wor basically working on my act during the summer and like what i could get up in santa cruz where i went to school and um and i just like ended up on a show at Cobbs with will and deb and they just like they just plucked me right out of that and they started taking me we uh we they started taking me to baseball games and then oh, yeah. they had me going to um because like you know me and dad were huge giants fans so we started going to ball games they started taking me to games and then uh then they started booking me on this year-end tour that they do because i still do it with them i mean we're not going to do it this year obviously but like the this it's like we do theaters for like two weeks at the end of the year every year just me and this group of comics from that era and um i probably like 90 percent of everything i know about how to get by in comedy and how to make an act and how to perform it and develop a following is all from will and deb um but i also got to work you know coming up i got to work I learned a lot by working several weeks with Greg Proops. Oh he yeah, really great. Oh yeah, yeah. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot from 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 just working with him and opening for him. And then, you know, I got to do. I got to work. I got to work with Robin Williams. You know, a handful of times, and like he was, he's like on a different plateau. Right. Um, wow. And and but you know, I remember being, I was really, really, really young and doing the Throckmorton theater for the first time. Oh, mm -hmm. And then like, <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> like sitting in the green room and Dana Carvey's there. I'm like, oh great, oh. I'm gonna have to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I really, I'm like 23 years old and I've been doing comedy for like five years and just getting my feet under me. And then, and then like the door swings open and Robin Williams, walks in and he's like oh can i go on can i go on before you so i'm like i gotta follow robin oh my god <laughs> i'm like party. i'm just gonna serve drinks tonight i'm not even yeah. going on stage that's just crazy yeah and it, but it was <laughs> it was really great because i i went and i did really i had a really great set and then and then uh robin just like he was like hey let's, let's watch the rest of the show and he just like pulled up a chair next to me in the wings and we just like watched the rest of the comics and he would just mm. like elbow me when he thought something was funny or if I should look at something. And he, I, I had like a couple experiences like that. And it was just like, even just not even really talking about it, but just sort of like acknowledging when you think, when he thought something was really funny, it just like gives you an idea of like, whatever, whatever wavelength he was pulling on. It's like, I'm just, it's like whatever insight I got from that, like was, <laughs> well well like i like i please believe i took that um under serious submission <laughs> yeah wow um 
if we could really quickly talk about, I, we're already at 25 minutes, y'all. Um, talk about San Francisco. You're born and raised here. You're a native. Yeah. And um, I think between Ange and I, I don't know how many years we have, 40 something years. I don't even know. Would that uh, be right, Ange? Yeah. Well, I moved here in 99. Yeah. Okay. And I was here in 20, 20, 2005. Um, but yeah, what, what, do you, what do you miss and what keeps you hopeful about San Francisco? I Which miss- could be another 25 minute uh, answer, I know. Right. Yeah. But- I know. Um, what do I miss? I miss Zeke's bar at third. Oh, yes. I miss Zeke so Pre- much. The pre game spot. Yeah. Pre game and post. Yeah. And post. That was, that was, I've never, I've never met a, a place more like perfect for what it was. It was like, it was like, I can have a beer and french fries, like, and I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I, like, it was so, like, unpretentious. Um, I miss, so I miss Zeke's, um, which has moved on to better things, I guess. I miss, um, I'm, I'm, it's funny, I dreaded it for so long, but I miss running into people that I went to school with. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah. I, like I, I, I dread it. I spent most of my like twenties dreading running into people that I went to school with, and now I miss running into people that I went to school with. Cause like, and 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 I'm and not like not like people I necessarily knew really well or like were like really good friends with, but like it was like it was you know two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven. It was like. I just had to get used to just everyone leaving, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was weird because I always just thought that like, yeah, you like leave your hometown if it's whack, but like <laughs> it, but like that is not what's going on here. And it was, it was just these, these like forces beyond anybody's control. It was just like driving people. And the other thing I really miss, and I think about this a lot because especially now that I'm an infant is like, you know, I grew up in Haight-Ashbury and, you know, when my parents bought the place that I grew up in, like Haight-Ashbury wasn't like a destination zip code. I mean, it was like, it was, it was like, I mean, it was, nobody wanted to live in Haight-Ashbury in the seventies. It was like, <laughs> everyone wanted to live there in the sixties, you know? And like mm-hmm. by the time like 1975 rolled around, like nobody, nobody really wanted to be in the Haight-Ashbury. It was like very, it was like a sad place. And and as a consequence of that, like, I, you know, San Francisco is not a big city. It's a big city and like crammed into like a very small geographic area. And the consequence of that, I think, growing up was that like, you had to get comfortable being around people who were very different from you because like you were stacked on each other like sardines. And so there was an ethos that developed from like, you just don't assume that somebody has somebody next door to you or even somebody across the street has like the same perspective you do. You're gonna have some things in common because like you are from the same area, you go to the same supermarket, whatever. But like there was there was this like you were just in contact with people who were different than you more. And that's mm-hmm. like different, different color, different race, different religion, different, um, different socioeconomic status, you know. Um and like being around those differences is something that I really miss. And I, it's not even that they're gone. It's just that they're not as, it's not as, it's just sort of like as not as thickly in the air as it used to be. And I, I really, I miss that and I lament it because it, it's, it's not even that it's, it's like, it's just like, what did we replace it with? 
like mm-hmm. Starbucks you know, khakis. Yeah. Well, Chipotle. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's like, what did we replace it with? It was like, we, we replaced it with a bunch of like people who, um, like didn't want to work here, but did want to say they lived here and really had some really strong opinions about how we were doing everything wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if we're, it's like, if we're doing everything wrong and there's too many poor people here for you, then like, just leave, dude. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to be here. We were doing fine before you came here. <laughs> you know, right. like, mm-hmm. that's sort of how I, it's like, in that kind of, I wish I didn't have to live with that kind of resentment because it, it's not doing me any good, but like, I can't, it's like when I, it's like when I think about how all the people that I know who grew up with me, who had to leave town, you know, so that like some guy named Bladen, you know, can like, <laughs> can like, can get a, can get a, can get a job at Facebook in their like enabling genocide department. Like it's <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't yeah, think they actually call it that, but it's yeah, I don't have... think they call it that <laughs> on the download. That's yeah, the, so, they, so, yeah. they, so they can be like, so they can be like a concierge service for every tin pot <laughs> dictator. Just like, oh, Facebook, blade in here. Oh, Duterte. <laughs> like, what can I do for you today? You know. Well, that's what I really like about your story is like for a stand-up comedian, it, it's very common to think like, maybe I should be moving to LA. Maybe I mm-hmm. should be moving to New York. Maybe I should take that next step. But you, your, your pride in San Francisco and the fact that you really just want to stay here and flourish here is um, is really refreshing and we definitely need more people from here to stay here yeah, <laughs> if they thank can. You. That, it's one of those things where, I mean, it was like a really, it was a really clear choice for me. It was like all, I was at the level where everyone in my level was moving to LA or New York. And like, I didn't fault them for it. Like, of course they did, you know? They're, I mean, I came up with a, my cohort at the, like when I broke in at the punchline, that like cohort was extremely talented. Like that was like a really, really, really talented wave. And um, like, like roughly like kind of in my group was like, Moshe Kasher and Guy yeah. Branham and mm-hmm. um, like Kamau was a little bit ahead of me. Kevin, Kevin Avery was a little bit ahead of me, but like um, Al Madrigal was a little bit ahead of me, but like Chris Garcia was kind oh, of yeah. my mm-hmm. group. And like, yep. it, it was, it, it was, and Drennan Davis, who's magnificent. And like, so it was like a really talented group and everybody went off and did their own thing. And, and, and it was curious because like at the time there wasn't really an outlet for someone who there wasn't like you couldn't make a record and get it streamed or get it on Sirius or whatever like that market hadn't really developed and so I just kind of kept doing stand-up for stand-up sake just because I like doing it and then you know by the time 2015 or 2016 rolled around you know you started to hear about that there was there was some opportunity in audio and that you could do it with live comedy records and that was more or less like all the signal that I needed. I was like, I can do this all from San Francisco. I don't need anybody's help. <laughs> like yeah. I, I can just do it, you know? Yeah. Arthur, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. We, I mean, come on anytime. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Play some well, records next time. Yeah. So we'll have you, game. we'll have you DJ Arthur. <laughs> I could do, I could take you through, um, I could, I could take you, I, for real, I could take you through these records and tell you every record store in San Francisco that I got it from, whether it still exists anymore, 
and like what that strength i could i could give you a walking tour of san francisco's record shops live from my living room i mean if if you don't have a podcast already maybe that's your podcast idea i told i told i told my wife because my wife wanted and we're still doing we're doing cloth diapers yeah and i'm like oh that's a podcast man (laughs) (laughs) the trials and tribulations yeah, it's just like, oh, we're uh, we're here on Cloth Talk. Uh, call, uh, <laughs> call call number three. You're on the air. Oh, hi, our long time listener, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> I I think I mean I think people would tune into that. Um, where can people find you on the interwebs? Okay, so um, uh, there's the ArthurGauss.com. Uh, that's where that's like my receptacle. <laughs> and then, and then uh, on on Twitter, I'm maniac bowl because that's a show that uh i do that i can tell you about in a second okay and uh instagram is just maniac bowl but like okay. it's under my name you'll be able to find me but it's but like twitter and instagram are the ones i use maniac bowl is the handle and the maniac bowl is a show i do with jesse fernandez where we try to we we take a tournament bracket and we fill it out with all the worst people we can think of and then <laughs> and then we decide who the like greatest maniac of all time is the current, oh. the current champion is U.S. Attorney General William Barr. Narrow, oh. yeah, yeah, narrowly defeating Fair. Joseph Coney in the finals. I mean, oh, <laughs> I'm getting PTSD. One, man. <laughs> yeah, but we're doing, we're doing a very special Black Friday edition uh, where we're doing all, <laughs> all the heroes of Trump world, Maniac Bowl uh, on Black Friday at 8 p.m. Okay, and where does Giuliani fit in there? See, okay, here's the thing about Giuliani. Giuliani is a super duper maniac, okay? Yep. But like, but like, I don't even think he's the biggest second, like he's the biggest second rate Donald Trump attorney. I, I, I think he's a maniac. I think he gets out of the first round, but I don't know if he gets, gets into the sweet 16 because <laughs> like he, he's a super duper maniac. But like he would have to face Matt Whitaker. Remember Matt Whitaker? I don't even remember that the, name. No, Matt Whitaker was the AG after they fired Jeff Sessions, but before they put Bill Barr in. Don't even remember that guy. No, they had this guy, look him up. They had this bald guy from Iowa named Matt Whitaker, who before he was the attorney general of the United States, the most powerful law enforcement person in America, his last thing was like signing off on patent applications for a quote, masculine toilet which was basically a toilet with like a lowered bowl so that your enormous genitals didn't get in the water. I have, oh I can't even, I don't God. know what to say. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Giuliani's a clown, you know, like he's horrible, but his effectiveness, yeah, there are worse, there are worse. I, he's just I, their clown, you know? Yeah, it's he's just, just a clown. Can I, can I, well, I mean, that explains the makeup going down his face. Can I ask you, can I ask you guys one question? I know you're trying to sign off on me, but no, like, no. Uh, no, uh, how hard, because you know, Stephen Miller, Trump uh, immigration uh, advisor, Stephen oh, Miller, God. true psychopath. Yeah, but, like, the devil. Yeah, here's my question. Stephen Miller got married last year. Oh God, she's horrible too, yeah. Yeah, obviously, but here's my question. How hard did Stephen Miller dance to Uptown Funk at his own wedding? Because <laughs> We know it's a wedding in 2019, so they played Uptown Funk. We also know that like when people play Uptown Funk at weddings, everyone loses their mind. 
how hard do you think he like <laughs> lost it and then stopped and then and then like yelled at somebody like like with darker skin than him or do you think <laughs> or do you think it was like it was like something like welled up inside of him and he tried to like hold off and then they were like don't believe me just watch and then he just like lost it I don't even think he knows like that's a Filipino man that's singing that song so that might <laughs> The only person who came, <laughs> who comes out of the Donald Trump era completely with their reputation intact and bolstered and everyone still loving is Bruno Mars. I promise you that. <laughs> you think so? I think so because like even like America kind of split on Taylor Swift. Like, well, yeah, like yeah. she was too much for some people. I can understand that. But like everyone loves Bruno Mars. Everyone <laughs> loves Bruno Mars. Like Bruno he's Mars, Filipino. Bruno what can I say? We're yeah. really charming. <laughs> If they had, if the, if the Republicans had tried to ramrod Bruno Mars onto the Supreme Court right before the election, like America wouldn't have even noticed. They would have been like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Bruno Mars. <laughs> well, he makes way more sense than a couple of those guys. Oh, yeah. Gals. Holding uh, half the court at this point. Anyway. Well, well, Arthur, one more thing. Where, when can we listen to the Triple X San Francisco locals only portion of this comedy show? Are you going to be releasing it or? Uh, yeah, you triple know, X. Triple X. it's the R rated, right? You said it was out, dirty. Yeah, it turns out that, yeah, the, 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 the record got the explicit content warning. And then, <laughs> yeah, after all this time I spent scrubbing it, they be, like, I got like featured, I'm getting featured like in heavy rotation on raw dog comedy. On, on <laughs> like, I did all this work to like, and I even titled it Nice Jokes for Smart People. Right. And now I'm just, I'm just like filthy animal comedy. <laughs> um, well, just let us know. Yeah, yeah. I'll, let you, I'll, let you, I'll let you know. And, and this is what I've been saying to everybody as kind of like a closing thought. This is what I've been saying to everybody. It's like, you have, like, you have no idea. If you're not like, if you're like, if you didn't know, now you know, man. Because I'm telling you, you can go out and you can see really, 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 really good comedy in San Francisco. And I would encourage anybody who's listening to you, like, like get in touch with what's happening here right now because it's pretty amazing and it and it's been it's been amazing for as long as I can remember it and I mean COVID took a bite out of it a little bit but as soon as but we're still doing shows and we're doing them safe we're doing them responsibly but we're still out here working and we're still out here telling so if you're if it's something that you can do if it's something you feel comfortable with get hip to the scene man because it's out there love it Brandon on that thank you Arthur cool Cool. thanks Arthur that's great If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. <laughs>